Welcome to the SF Weekly Podcast. I'm Nick Veronin, your editor in exile. And as always, I'm joined by Kevin, the Catman Hume, our photo editor. How you doing today, Kevin? Oh, pretty good. How you doing, man? I'm all right. You know, a few weeks ago, Kevin's feline friends had a little hot mic moment, and we captured the sound of a couple allegedly domestic beasts battling for supremacy, bucking the shackles of their mundane lives as tame lap kitties and unleashing the beasts within. <laughs> Here's what it sounded like. Um, takeout is takeout is a... Oh my God, my cats are fighting right now. Can you hear them? <laughs> yes. Oh my fucking God, they're fucking nuts. Um, this, this, this is... Wait, wait. No, let, let, it, let it unfold. Let it happen. kind of (laughs) anyway can you tell i just finished rereading the call of the wild kevin i think i can yeah (laughs) i did i did did you happen to see the uh recent film adaptation with harrison ford and the cg animated pup no no i haven't seen it yet uh where can i see it i don't know i didn't see i don't think it's i don't (laughs) think it's worth seeing i mean it was rated PG, first of all. And I mean, well, Harrison Ford's great, but let me tell you something. The Call of the Wild is not PG. It's violent. It's really violent. Hmm. We're dogs tearing each other up. Anyway, Jack London, great American author, former Oakland denizen, mm-hmm. champion of toxic masculinity, <laughs> booze hound. <laughs> booze hound. Um, but speaking of toxic masculinity, this week on the podcast, I'll be speaking with two guests who live overseas in New Zealand and Japan, two countries which, judging by their rational response to the coronavirus, do not share America's cavalier cowboy attitude when it comes to sheltering in place and wearing masks, and therefore have done a far better job containing the virus, at least so far. Do you have any friends overseas, Kevin? Uh, I actually have a friend uh, in China, in Shanghai. Uh, He's been there for many, many years. And uh, we've done some group chats over the course of this whole thing. And he's told us how, you know, China had their initial crackdown where, you know, everybody couldn't leave for a really long time. And now he's at the point where he's going out again. And he went to a museum this past weekend with other people. Damn. You know, life is pretty much back to normal there. And, you know, Shanghai is not some small city. It's like, what, 24 million people? I don't know. It's a crazy big city. One of the most biggest, I think it might be the most populated city on the planet at this point. So, yeah, it's kind of concerning when China, you know, had this huge problem and then they cracked down and now America just looks like a a shit show. (laughs) I know. I've already talked to one of the guests. He's actually my cousin. Um, Full disclosure, he Uh, lives in New Zealand. And um, you'll hear it all in the interview. But he says, you know, they benefited from being an island nation and some other things. But also, um, the bars are open. Um, I mean, like, like indoor bars open. Yeah. I guess it's the winter over there. Yeah, Southern Hemisphere. Toilets flush the other way. Uh, allegedly i've see i've talked about the coriolis effect and i've tried to get to the bottom of this i thought like at first i was like i bought it i was like oh that happens and then i was like wait a minute is that just something like somebody told me to to like troll me um but um i think it actually does happen interesting i don't know i don't know i mean i'm almost willing to go just to find out but then again i just really (laughs) want to go to new zealand and australia (laughs) Do you like the Lord of the Rings? Dude, yeah. Like uh <laughs> I do really kind of want to go. There is the uh uh the Hobbiton village setup that people, you know, they've actually put it in place where you can stay there and like, you know, obviously yeah. COVID, but like it's different now. So I think people could actually probably go and stay and visit and all that. So yeah, mm-hmm. I would love to trek up and down New Zealand and see all the beautiful places that they use for Lord of the Rings. What about second breakfast? Elevensies? <laughs> Elevensies? <laughs> That's always my favorite. Mr. One. Frodo. Okay. Um, back to toxic masculinity and the kind of cluelessness that toxic masculinity tends to foster. We have a story on the website this week um, <clears throat> about Neil Young suing 
uh, Neil Young, who lives, uh, by the way, in La Honda, long time. Well, he might be in L.A. now, but for a long time he was in La Honda, Peninsula resident, Canadian originally. Neil Young suing the campaign of, and I hate to have to say this, incumbent presidential candidate Donald Trump for, for using his music, that is Neil Young's music, at campaign rallies, like the Tulsa rally, where, and we may never know for sure, like with the Coriolis effect, but perhaps, <laughs> perhaps that's where Herman Cain contracted the coronavirus, which recently killed him. Mm-hmm. Oof. Yeesh. Not a good look. No. Um, <clears throat> and so anyway, it's a, you know, one of the songs is rocking in the free world. Keep on rocking in the free world. Um, and like, so with, when this happens, like, why is Trump using this song anyway? Do it's, it's like, it's not like a glorious patriotic song. It's about no. America in decline. Right. You know, and I mean, it's that it's like the the Bruce Springsteen, you know, uh, born in the uh, USA. In the USA. That exactly, song is Kevin. It's an anti-America song coming from, I'm assuming, the perspective of a, of a Vietnam veteran, you know? Yeah. And everybody, I shouldn't say everybody, but a lot of Republican conservative candidates use that song and it's it's misusing it it's mis it's totally not getting the 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 purpose behind the song the lyrics the, the well, meaning I, like what like do aren't there enough ted nugent songs like what <laughs> i don't i just don't understand why they even use it to begin with because like like are they, they they own in the libs by like playing this anthem that is antithetical to their values i mm-hmm. i don't know what, what they're doing here i mean to your point with um, Born in the USA, I, I, rem- I remember coming across this Glenn Beck monologue where he was explaining to his listeners this very thing um, about Born in the USA. And I'm like, D- who has to explain this? Who- you guys are not, you guys are, you need to work on your critical listening skills. It's pretty, pretty clear. Yeah, clear they're not vague. They're not open to interpretation. No. You can read about um, Neil Young suing Donald Trump's campaign on our website. Uh, And stay tuned while we talk to a couple of people who um, have experienced the coronavirus pandemic uh, quite differently, living overseas in New Zealand and um, Japan, Tokyo, respectively. And we'll catch up with the Oakland-based punk trio Grumpster, who had planned to go on tour before the pandemic struck. Thankfully, they've been putting their downtime to good use, writing and recording some new music. We'll be right back. This week, the New York Times has a report about what sets the United States apart from the rest of the wealthy developed world when it comes to our COVID-19 numbers. It seems that the prized value of rugged individualism has been a stumbling block for us. So has our president, whose very loyal base may prize their personal freedom above almost anything else. And so we're reaching out to some of our friends around the globe to find out how the pandemic is looking overseas. I'm joined now by Camille Miller, who's been living in Tokyo for about a year and a half. Welcome to the podcast, Camille. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Of course. Of course. So, so glad you could join us. So Camille, you worked with me as an intern at uh, my previous job, the newspaper mm-hmm. Metro Silicon Valley. That's, uh, that's how we know each other. Where are you working now? What are you up to these days? So I'm currently working at another publication based here in Tokyo. It's called Metropolis Magazine, and we cater to the international community here in Japan. A lot of our content is lifestyle, culture, arts, music. So it's been kind of a struggle, as you can imagine, with all events being canceled um, and people not being able to go out to restaurants and bars and whatnot, which is actually a lot of what our content focuses on. Um, But in any case, we are surviving. And so that's kind of what I've been up to 
Can you start us off at the beginning of the pandemic um, for you, from your perspective, walk me through what life has been like uh, for you since the spring of this year? Right. So um, it's kind of strange because I guess a lot of this kicked off really in January was when, you know, this new flu-like virus was being detected in Wuhan. And in January, I was actually on a business trip in the U.S. I was in Wisconsin and my coworker who was traveling with me had just returned from a business trip in China and everything went well. But on our return flight was really when the news of this new virus in China was kind of floating around in media. Um, People weren't really taking it seriously yet, but actually my friend and I were really sick on our flight back to Narita Airport here in Tokyo. And by the time we arrived, we had like a pretty high fever. Um, And it's insane to think about now because obviously if I arrived at an airport with a fever now, I would be locked away for God knows how long. Um, But I just went up to the immigration desk and they were like, where did you come from? And I told them I came from New York. I came from the U.S. because we had a kind of like a a layover, I guess. And um, they were like, oh, okay, that's fine. And they just kind of let me off the hook and let me go home. And I mean, I had the flu. So it's it's strange looking back now that that would have kind of, you know, um, happened. But so I returned to Tokyo and um, for a couple of days, things were normal. And then the panic rushed in and masks were sold out everywhere. And, you know, people in Japan, we love our masks. So people really hopped onto that. So you couldn't buy a mask anywhere. And then the whole like toilet paper fiasco happened and you couldn't buy oh, toilet no paper. That um, happened there too. Yeah, it happened. And it's like, I, I don't know. I feel like the herd mentality almost is so strong here that like when one person thinks something, everyone's just on it and they're on it right away. So, um, yeah, it was, it's, it's been, or that was a struggle, but obviously compared to the stories that I hear from my friends and family back in the States, I feel like we've had it relatively easy and life has been relatively normal, um, compared to what's going on over there. What was the severity um, or the extent of like the measures that were taken uh, immediately in terms of shutdown, lockdown, shelter in place? What what was that like? I think um, for the most part, it was pretty light in the beginning. And then you get to April and the prime minister declares a state of, of, sorry, a state of emergency. Um, So Japan is kind of unique in that unlike the US and these European countries have had these really hard lockdowns um, because of our constitution here, we or the government cannot actually legally enforce people to stay at home or penalize companies for not closing. So everything that they ask people and businesses to do is just a request. And that's, and that's it really like you can't, you know, there are no real ramifications if you don't comply. Um, I guess the prime minister is really commending the country um, for for, I guess, listening to these requests when maybe in other countries it would become more political, like like in the U.S. Things like wearing a mask, uh, we've been doing it in Japan for decades, really. So that's not an issue for the people here. And I don't know, maybe that is a big factor in why cases haven't been as high as in the States. But um, yeah, it's it's all requests from the government and the state of emergency ended in May. There's been I guess there have been milestones um, here in terms mm-hmm. of like how serious this thing is um, and everybody experiences it differently. I think, you know, for like music fans locally, it was like, mm-hmm. oh, Outside Lands is definitely canceled. OK, mm-hmm. that's Burning Man was canceled. OK, like th- um, things like that come down. Um, I know in uh, Japan, there was a point where, you know, the government had to make uh, the decision, hey, we're, you know, and I guess the international community Mm -hmm. were canceling the Olympics. But I wondered if that was a big deal there when, when that decision came down. Yeah, it was it was definitely a huge deal. I think it was kind of this elephant in the room for a long time for the entire country. Like, is it going to happen? Is it not going to happen? And for the most part, the popular opinion was, you know, it's a bad idea. Let's not do it. And we were just kind of waiting for the government and for, you know, the higher ups to catch up with that. Um, 
kind of on a personal or close to home level, a lot of our business here at Metropolis and obviously a lot of other international businesses, it was invested very much in the Olympics happening. And so economically, we've taken a hit from that, um, as has the city of Tokyo and and the nation. Uh, We were expecting a massive influx of tourism and with that, a huge boom in the economy. How's everything going now, you know, as in today, the past week? Um, are people eating at restaurants? Are people going to bars? People are definitely going to bars. <laughs> um, so after the state of emergency was lifted and the cases started surging again, um, the the governor, uh, Yuriko Koike, she is kind of trying to rein it in. And I think it was last week or a couple of days ago, she threatened to declare another state of emergency in Tokyo because while it's not happening nationally, prefectures kind of on a more local level are doing it themselves. Um, And she's asked restaurants and bars and um, places serving alcohol to close at 10. And businesses that do will get, um, I think it's like roughly in US dollars, like $2,000. But people are very much going out. I mean, I, on my walk home yesterday from the station, and I kind of live in a busy area where there's lots of bars and restaurants. I mean, it's a Thursday night, and I'm walking by this brewery, kind of this like craft beer place, and all of the seats are full, and everyone is just talking, drinking, no masks. Um, I mean, the windows are open, but I'm not sure how... <laughs> much that matters and I just like keep going further on my walk I see an izakaya which is basically like a gastropub and you know it's a full house people drinking talking so it feels very normal um minus the fact that some of these businesses have like plastic dividers um on the tables everything else I mean it seems like it's booming people are going about um their lives as as usual so it's a bit strange uh, do, would you feel comfortable going to a restaurant or bar right now? Mm, not really, but I would be lying if <laughs> I said that I don't go out with my friends <laughs> occasionally. Um, I mean, we try to go to more open places like spacious bars and spacious restaurants, and we always try to sit outside if possible. Um, but... Yeah, I, I I don't know. It's 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 very strange. It's this strange dissonance where, like, obviously, I have family in the states, and the situation is so different there. And I I have this almost like shame and guilt constantly when I do go out because I can never like relay that to my mom or like my sister because they would be like, "What are you doing?" Um. So it is. It's really strange. <laughs> um, what was the death toll like or has the death toll been Mm -hmm. like for japan Uh, i understand your country or you know you're from the states but japan has a relatively old um older Mm -hmm. population a lot of old people (laughs) living in japan yeah (laughs) i think it's like the most um I don't know, like the oldest per capita or something like right. that in no, the world. The word that was escaping me. I was just like, a bunch of oldies <laughs> living over there. Just okay. a lot of old people. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so I'm not sure about Tokyo specifically, but I think it was uh, last month the national death toll hit 1,000, which seems like such a small number compared to other countries wow. out there. Um, but a part of the reason why Japan or the prime minister isn't declaring another state of emergency is because of the patient demographic. Um, I think it's something like more than half or about half are people in their 20s who are obviously not um, at that high of a risk to, to kind of I mean, to die. <laughs> uh, yeah. and, and so there's been kind of a muted response because of that, partially, because it's younger people getting sick. Um, I think, though, like starting at the end of last month, there's been a higher number of elderly people who are becoming sick and people who are passing away. So um, in that regard, the concern has kind of spiked. So um, as someone who grew up in the Bay Area and has been living in Japan for uh, over a year um, and regularly communicates with family back here, Mm. um, 
what do you think are the key differences between um, the way Japan has been handling this and the way um, the U.S. has been handling it, as far as you can tell? Um, I mean, I think just the... Hmm. I think uh, testing has been a really big one. So obviously at the beginning of all of this, uh, you know, the World Health Organization, it was like test, test, test. And Japan basically took kind of a very different approach where it was limited testing um, because of, I think it was in 2009, the H1N1 flu. Uh, Mm -hmm, (laughs) um, mm -hmm. So people had created these clusters by going to testing centers and, you know, learning from that, they wanted to avoid it this time around. And so our method here has been limited testing and a lot of contact tracing. Um, Whereas I know in the States, it's been, you know, really ramping up on the testing as much as possible, wherever possible. Um, So in that regard, I think it's been different. And Obviously, like going back to the authority that the government has, you know, the government here cannot force us to stay home. And that's huge, I think. Um, And they can't force businesses to close. And that's also huge. So, you know, the the legal uh, authority situation is very different here. Um, And I guess you would think that it would have kind of a negative effect. That's what I was going to say. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Um, but it hasn't. And I think there are a lot of, you know, factors to that, that, you know, experts and government officials like to attribute, um, you know, this lack of cases here, but it, it is kind of mysterious though. If, if you think about it, it's, it is, it feels very strange, counterintuitive. (laughs) Or I mean, and, and like New York city got hit really, really hard in Mm. in the States. And, you know, I, I think of a city like Tokyo, uh, of being just incredibly dense, lots of mm-hmm. transit. And um, yeah, I mean, yeah. It, you know, and then, you know, we're, as journalists, we're always trying to like uh, create, you know, some kind of mm. story. I, that sounds bad, but like, we're trying to like, <laughs> we're trying to like find, you know, a compelling story to tell. And I think, right. you know, in the United States, we might think of something like, well, in Japan, they're more, you know, community oriented or something and less Mm. individualistic to take it back to the top of what I said. But, you know, I don't live there. I've never lived there. I don't want to, you know, just rely on old cliches about what I think Japan is Mm -hmm. about. Um, Yeah. What do you think? I mean, any, any other insights there? Um, I think, you know, you're right. It's, it's been confusing for journalists, for experts, uh, probably for people in government as well. But at the same time, it's kind of, I don't know if this is this is wrong to say, but I mean, you know, it's kind of a good thing. Like uh, people aren't getting as sick here <laughs> and, and people yeah. aren't dying. So, um, but it is strange because like you said, people like stories and people like explanations and it's been uh, pretty hard to pinpoint you know, what makes Japan so different. And part of, um, you know, what you talk about, the cliches, uh, people have talked about that. And it was the finance minister, he, you know, he kind of uh, sparked some controversy when he said Japan is more culturally advanced or something like that. Mm. Um, Which, you know, I don't know, maybe it is because people here are community oriented and we wear masks and we comply even if we're not legally bound to comply. Um, But I don't know, it still doesn't account for the fact that I just commuted to work on a very packed train um, and, you know, people are out and about and these bars and restaurants are super crowded. I mean, what is it like in the States, if you don't mind me asking? Do people... (laughs) Yeah, I can tell you that what it's like here in the Bay Area, um, where I think compliance is pretty high with mask wearing. We got mm. some confusing information to begin with. So at first it was like, you don't even need to wear masks unless you're a medical professional. Um, then it was like, you know, oh, my, our bad, we're wrong about that. Start wearing mm. masks. Um, and then um, there there have been just like incidents, so many incidents that go viral on, on social mm. media of people flipping out about being told to wear masks. Um, oh, yeah. And uh, I don't know, is that something in Japan? Like when people are angry that they have to wear the mask? Um, I 
have yet to hear or see <laughs> anything like that happen here. Um, just having this conversation is, is actually making me feel like the only key difference is just mask compliance and, and <laughs> the understanding of wearing masks and like just doing it from the jump. Because what you're saying about the, the government cannot, mm. from a federal level, enforce um, uh, mask wearing or, or right. like businesses to shut down. Mm -hmm. In the United States, I think there probably could be some kind of national order, but there is a reluctance to do that. Mm -hmm. And there's a reluctance to do that in more conservative areas. And there's this reluctance to do that. And so there's never, there hasn't been a national order, even though mm -hmm. there might, it might be constitutionally legal to do something like that right. um it just it's it's more of like a cultural thing as opposed mm. to a constitutional mm. uh, bar um but yeah so we're but what i'm hearing is just like in japan the masks were um everyone was like yeah we know the drill <laughs> we'll do the masks and in the united states it was kind of like people balk at it they balk at being told like you have to you have to do this thing i mm. think there's I think there's like a sense of like, you know, uh, like this, like, I think toxic masculinity plays into mm. it. I think for some reason it's kind of like, it's seen as like, oh, like, what are you worried about getting a little virus? You're going to wear a mask, bro. Um, <laughs> I don't know. That's, that's oh me. That's, that's, that's my sort of, that's my sort of hot take on it. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, um, that's an interesting take. Um, I don't doubt that you're right. <laughs> it turned into a culture war. Um, mm, as, right. as a lot of as a lot of stupid things in America turn into culture right. wars, um, and that's what happened with masks. And it's um, maybe historians will look back on all of this, mm -hmm. and that will be just like the most you know facepalm moment where if like we could have just been like let's wear masks, we would have been fine. Right. Just wear a mask, bro. <laughs> Just wear a mask, bro. All Just right. Just wear a mask. <laughs> you heard it here. You heard it here from Camille Miller. <laughs> I'm going to leave it at that. Thank you All so right. much for joining us. Um, and uh, stay safe in Tokyo and um, have a great day. Yeah, thank you. Stay safe. We're back with Wilson Raditz, my cousin. For the past several years, Wilson has been living in New Zealand, which for those of you following the news of the pandemic closely, has done exceptionally well in containing COVID-19. Uh, he's here to talk about his personal experience of dealing with the novel coronavirus down under. Uh, God. Uh, don't welcome don't to say the, that. <laughs> I know. Yeah. No, welcome to the podcast, Wilson. Oh, hi, Nick. Uh, good to be here. Yeah. Um, so I, I had the thought of inviting you uh, on this podcast uh, because uh, you I tend to only invite people who are the subject of stories, but like you have a you unique, uh, we, we have a connection and you have a unique perspective, especially since uh, you're living in New Zealand and, and we're living in the United States. Uh, so um, I just wanted to get your thoughts. Can, can you, and, and find out what life's been like for you for the past several months. Can you, uh, can you just start us off from the beginning? What what was the government response like right from the jump? Sure. Um, so I guess going back to you know beginning of the year, um, you know January and February, and I forget when we the news reports of of the virus started coming in, you know, places like China. Um, but I, I, I'm sure most people reacted the same way that they did elsewhere in the world, which was it was a uh, a news story that wasn't much of a concern until it was very quickly all of a sudden. Because um, I, I remember at the beginning of March, just people still discussing about it. Uh, I was currently working on an airport at the time. Uh, so I was working with a lot of people that were going in and out of the country. Um, and and even even then, you know, there there were some people that were they're taking seriously, but, but it was generally, oh, as long as you haven't been to China, it's it's not an issue. Uh, and then uh, there were a couple people that, that had come into the country uh, with the virus, um, but I guess there had already been some some contact tracing protocols put into place, and and they were all um, 
you know, able to uh, contact the people who they they've been in contact with and get them quarantined. Um, however, the uh, that was all until about mid March, um, the twenty third or something like that, where uh, New Zealand picked up their first case of coronavirus that they could not contact trace. They could not figure out how the person had got it, so they declared the community transmission, and the prime minister pretty much went on the news that day, I think, or at least uh, soon afterwards. And pretty much said the entire country was going to go into a hard lockdown two days from that. Um, so this was announced on a Monday, um, where Jacinda Ardern, the the prime minister, uh, I guess held an announcement about midday um, to tell the country that that had happened um, and that and and what we were to do, uh, which was essentially on that starting um, that Wednesday or rather. Uh, Wednesday at midnight to so Thursday uh, at morning, um, the country would begin a hard lockdown. All non-essential businesses were to um, stop, uh, or at least transition to home if possible. Um, and everyone that wasn't an essential worker was to stay at home. Um, and and there was like a whole level system that they talked through. So so we went immediately from level one, which was essentially recommendation for social distancing and um, contact tracing policies at, at restaurants. You know, you, you go and you have to leave your name. Uh, we went from level one immediately to level four, which was full lockdown, stay at home. Um, yeah, all restaurants closed, all offices closed that weren't essential. Um, and, and that's what happened. Very quickly, the country did that. Um, and uh, myself included, and everyone I know uh, here, um, and there were, you know, some teething pains, I think. Um, remember, I, I remember seeing a lot of news reports of um, people not knowing the, I guess, all the rules around it. And, and so breaking quarantine kind of thing. But for the most part, people complied, um, which was reassuring um, and, and nice. And, and the entire time, you know, the, the government was doing daily briefings, which were a little different than the briefings that you guys got in the states um i, I, I can only imagine but <laughs> yeah um i mean like okay i i don't i don't want to be a little too too controversial here but new zealand did the thing that i think um a lot of people wish the states had done which is the daily briefing the prime minister would come up kind of explain the situation give some reassuring words and then she handed it over to health experts who then talked about it and people listened and then did what they said. You mean she didn't uh, just get up there and spitball for? Yeah, uh, yeah, <laughs> um, that's exactly what I mean. Um, and I mean, that, that, that's that been one of the, I guess, um, most, I, I don't know, I don't know the word, amazing thing, or certainly the most comforting thing about this whole process for me, you know, it's definitely a, a scary time, uh, anxiety inducing, but the leadership from the prime minister was always, you know, reassuring and comforting. And I, I do think that is um, the prime minister here is one of her greatest skills is she's great at providing um, re reassurance to the people. Um, there's been a couple of events now where, where she's had generally done it. Yeah. Um, okay. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So, uh, I mean, okay. So just, just really quickly to be fair to America, not that, yeah. not that we need to be fair to America here. <laughs> Um, you are, you are in a smaller nation and it's an island. Mm -hmm. do, you, do you think that helped at all? Yeah, certainly. Um, uh, I mean, I, I also think, you know, it's the, the, the structure in the States of having the federal government over the individual States, um, obviously makes it harder there. And I mean, I, I'm sure there, there's some form of that here. I, I don't, you know, know the intricacies of exactly how the, uh, New Zealand government's laid out, but it, 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 Jacinda Ardern is the local leader um, in, in that, you know, she's, she's definitely not, uh, there's, there's no concept of, you know, center heartland versus coastal elites, really, mm. in New Zealand. I mean, there's still, you know, urban and rural, like there is everywhere in the world. Um, but, you know, even the people that disagree with, with the prime minister, and, you know, don't follow her political party, they, they still listen to her and respect her. Um, yeah, and and yeah, certainly... I mean that's a question that I had. That's a question. I started to cut in, but that's a question that I had. I mean, th there's this whole macho thing here in America and I don't think it's 
necessarily um, uh, strictly uh, an American problem. I just saw a piece on NPR about how the some of the top countries, the some of the the, the biggest countries that are having trouble containing this, a lot of them uh, have. Uh, leaders who are openly doubtful and dis- uh, of science and dismissive of experts. Um, but I mean, like you, you gotta have conservative wingnuts out there, right? In, in New Zealand. I mean, like, yeah, what? I mean, they, they certainly exist. Um, they just don't put them on television very often. <laughs> um, at least not the television that I watch. And you know, like I don't, I don't follow the new, the, the local news like super closely. I mean, I, I mean, maybe there's a, a version of, OAN or whatever in New Zealand, but it's certainly not super popular. Um, and, and you know, I mean, you got to realize, like, you know, a, a conservative New Zealander for the most part is essentially a Democrat. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, okay. You know, I mean, like, you know, the, the, there are conservative policies, sure, but they're not uh, anywhere near as, as, you know, right wing or like authoritarian or conservative as um as as you see in on the far right in the states Hmm. um and yeah the experts listen to uh, sorry the 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 leadership listen to expert advice and then the people follow that or at least i mean you know some not everyone but for the most part you know I, i live right in the middle of um the the uh central business district which is the center of uh auckland new zealand's largest city and when we went into quarantine, you know, after like the first day or two, the streets were empty. Um, mm. you, like no one, I mean, and, like we were st- still allowed to like go out for walks and things like that. But yeah. um, even at, at the beginning, you know, very, very little. Um, that's how it wasn't. That's how it was in San Francisco. I mean, I can't speak to how it might've been in, you know, uh, a more uh, conservative city. Mm. I don't know what that would be Dallas or Houston or, you know, something like that. But, um, yeah. Um, so, uh, what about masks? Uh, and, and that, so there was, there was a, there was a problem initially, even before Trump started weighing in, which is that the, the WHO, uh, didn't recommend masks in the beginning. Yeah. Did, what, what happened with y- you all? Were you following WHO or were you, did you get on the mask train earlier? Do you know? No. So mask like never really became a thing here. Um, so, really? so early on it was very similar. I remember there, the, the waters were muddy uh, very early on about whether people should or should not be wearing masks. Mm-hmm. I do recall, you know, myself saying to like my colleagues and such and like, hey, Yo, don't 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 wear a mask. Um, don't don't buy them. Leave them for the people that need them. Because mm-hmm. um, I remember that was, I mean, I was probably listening to to stateside um, news sources, but that that I think was some of the prevailing wisdom at the time was there are going to be mask shortages, so don't stockpile them so that they can mm-hmm. be essential workers. Um, and and then it it it, it, it didn't become a topic of discussion no one was really discussing whether or not masks were needed because no one was outside um i mean except for i guess essential workers um but they they and you like you would see at, at supermarkets people wearing masks um the okay. workers there um but it, it there was never like a mask-wide mandate and i i do think i recall seeing a um it was either an article or, or just a piece on the news a couple of weeks ago from one of the new zealand um I guess health experts saying they they do wish they had given some more clarity about that early on. Um, But I guess luckily the virus was able to get under control here before it it masks, you know, would have played the part they needed to. Um, People stayed inside, so they didn't need a mask to prevent the spread. I see. Okay. Um, So, uh, yeah, when uh when I st- when I started rolling around the idea of of asking you to come on the podcast, we were doing a sort of family get together over Zoom, mm. um and uh and uh you were just you were saying that that people are going to bars now and not yep. wearing masks and and you said that you you almost went out last night. Um, True. I mean, do you, would you feel comfortable going to a bar right now and in inside yeah. in a bar? I mean, I like it. It feels a little surreal, but I don't. I don't feel at risk or scared because uh, I mean, I, I don't know what the exact numbers are right now, but I'm pretty sure we have fewer than ten cases in the country, and every single one of them is in you know a hotel or a trailer park by the airport. 
um, because those are the only people that have that are people coming into the country. Um, You know, it's it's after we went into lockdown, we stayed at at level four, as I discussed, essentially full lockdown for, I think, three to four weeks before going to level three, which was still I mean, that's essentially what level three is essentially what lockdown is in the States. Um, which was everyone stay at home, keep working from home if you can, except essential workers, um, except now, you know, maybe there's some some delivery services and, and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, where we then stayed for another two weeks. Um, and and then it was um, a light lockdown, which like people could still go out. Restaurants, I think, were starting to, to serve at like half capacity and, and things like that. Um, and, you know, then we got to the point where there was I think we had a you know a full week with no more than like one or two new cases a day, and they were all able to be traced and isolated and quarantined. You know we did that for a week or two, and then it was pretty much let's start transitioning back to normal life. And so we did. We you know we started to go back to the office, and it was a little weird and odd at first, but that was more than a month ago now, hmm. and now we're pretty much as we were in January. The island aspect aside, it sounds like there was a real top-down concerted uniform effort, which we certainly have yeah. not gotten yes. here in, in America. Um, and I mean, even on like a state level, I mean, even on a California level, this, the size of this state, um, we've been getting mixed messages and it's come mm. down to kind of mayors of cities and counties to kind of handle this thing in it. Yeah, I mean, I think it it um, when it all first started to happen, um, I was like, no, I'm not a fan of Donald Trump, but I was like, mm. I mean, what how what what is he supposed to do about a virus? But now, four months in, six months in total, I mean, it's it's clear, it's it's clear as day that there's a failure all he needed to do a couple months ago was just 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 tell the American people to do something, right? I know, yeah. <laughs> Stay at home, wear a mask. Had he said that in March, I think things might have gone very differently. Right. Well, um, yeah. yeah. Well, hey, I, I want to thank you for uh, joining us on the podcast. Um, yeah. Thanks a lot. Yeah, I, it's been fun. Thanks for having me, Nick. Um, I guess uh talk to you soon. Say, say hi to the fan for me. I will. Thanks, Wilson. We're back with Grumpster, an Oakland punk band who... We're back with Grumpster, an Oakland punk band who were all set to head out on tour behind their late 2019 full-length debut, Underwhelmed, then the pandemic hit. They've not remained idle, though. The band recently recorded a new 7-inch, Mindless, which they'll be releasing soon. Welcome to the podcast, guys. Thank you. Hey, thanks for having us. Sorry to hear that your tour was postponed. Um, This was going to be everyone's first time on tour, some people's first time on tour. Uh, our first time as a band on a, like a longer extended tour. We've done little week runs here and there, um, but this would have been our like first one with like over a month. Hmm. So that must have been a major bummer. Um, how'd you guys take it when when the news came down? I mean, can you can you give me the timeline? Um, and can you yeah. all introduce yourselves? Oh yeah, um, I'm Fallon. I sing and play bass. Uh, I'm Noel, and I am the drummer. My name is Lalo, and I play guitar. Yeah, so what was the timeline like for you guys uh, as the news trickled in and it yeah. became increasingly apparent that uh, the tour was going to get scuttled? Um, so we got the offer in September. So, you know, we had like nine months to wait until the tour came. So then we we're getting close, we we're getting close. And then, you know, it was like March and we're like, oh my God, we leave for tour in, you know, two months. It's so sick. It's coming up so soon. And then, you know, like mid-March is when everything kind of like hit. Um, And so the tour, it's like, it was broken up into two legs. So there was a first leg, which was like March to April, I think. Um, And then our leg was in May. So I remember like the pandemic hit and then I saw that the first leg had gotten postponed. And I was like, oh man, that's kind of scary. But I was like, our leg's not till May. We're totally fine. 
this is all going to be over in two months. There's no way it's going to last that long. So that's kind, of the mindset, <laughs> that's kind of the mindset I had at first. And then I remember it was like, what, maybe like two weeks later, maybe a week later. Um, I just remember Noel like opened his phone and was like, man, you're not going to like this. And I was like, what's up, dude? And he was like, tour got postponed till September. And I was like, ah, like we're so close. But, you know, it was like September. So I was like, we can wait a few more months. And then like two weeks after that, we got the email and they were just like, okay, yeah, September is like not going to work. 2021. Yeah. How about 2021? And we were like, oh man. Cause like we've waited so long for it. So it was definitely a blow, but I'm just, I'm glad that there's still plans to like reschedule it instead of just canceling it outright. Have you, have you all been able to keep working? I mean, at your day jobs, if you have them, what are you all doing for money right now? Um, I was able to keep my job which is really cool. Um, I'm a barista and I love it. It's fun. I like coffee, but the other two lost their jobs. Yeah, I was, uh, this is Noel here. I was laid off on March 23rd. Um, and luckily I was fortunate enough to not have any problems filing my EDD claim or anything like that. So that's been nice, although it has run dry, um, (laughs) as of just this past week. So a little anxious about that, but, um, you know, I've got uh, some prospective things and some savings, but no, yeah, I I haven't even worried about applying anywhere because there's nowhere really to apply to, you know, it's um kind of scary. It's the first time in my life I haven't really known what I was going to do for money, and at least I can write some music. Yeah, my job closed uh, around the same time, I think like late March, um, and they, you know, they're, they're, they are going to reopen. It's just a matter of when and they don't know yet and they are going to bring everybody back but there's still definitely like unknown as far as uh, when I'll be returning so I'm going to have to find some people <laughs> um, and then but musically you've you've been able to keep working at the band right because um, you have this new EP coming out um, I understand from Mike's story um, that uh, that was written uh, during Shelter in Place yep pretty much one of the songs we like <clears throat> had kind of like a skeleton for it but definitely, um, while the shelter in place was going on, we were able to like really bunker down and work on it just because we were like, well, we don't have any shows to prepare for. So I guess we'll just write some music. So do you all consider, you know, that we've learned some new vocab in the past several months. Um, uh, and sometimes it's called a bubble or, uh, I don't know, a quarantine coven or (laughs) whatever you want to call it. Are you all, are you all together sort of in, in the same, uh, quote unquote household you guys can rehearse together and stuff like that um so we so two of us live together um so that's pretty good because you can't really drag outside terms <laughs> in there um but yeah we have like a, a lockout practice space that we go to um so it, it's like you don't really come into contact with other people it's like your own private room um so we just come here and we work on stuff and like you know we've really only been seeing each other like the three of us so we're not like super concerned about like spreading stuff or like spreading germs or anything yeah i only see them and then the people i live yeah so it's it we keep it pretty uh any any insights now into the fourth month of pandemic that like you know you never would have thought um you'd have like such a weird insight into like how to how to how to live your life good question yeah that's tough i'll say for me personally um to be uh malleable i guess is the word i want to use there um i've always liked to have a clear plan and structure and everything in my life but it's pretty apparent that um now that's not always going to happen and if it does you better be able to adapt for sure so that's one thing I definitely learned and have taken uh, from these four months unemployed and quarantined, you know? Yeah. Uh, last question for all of you. Um, from a musician's perspective, what what has this pandemic um, been doing to music locally and on the whole? Oof. Um, God. I think it's, like, it's challenging bands, like, big and small kind of to like 
I don't know, like, find new ways to, like, do things. It's, like, you have to find new ways to, like, keep your fans engaged. You have to find new ways to, like, be coming out with new material. You know, you have to find new ways to even write music because it's just, like, right Mm. now, you're not, like, out and about, like, experiencing new things. Like, you're not on tour, like, watching other bands play and, like, taking inspiration from that, you know, and stuff like that. So it's definitely, like, it's been challenging, but it's also kind of fun to, like, kind of rework the way you do things on a local scale and a larger scale, you know, to kind of just like keep everything fun and interesting and relevant instead of just like falling to the wayside and being like, oh, there's a pandemic and I can't play out and I can't tour. Guess I'll like stop practicing and playing music until Mm -hmm. this is over. Because when you come back, you're going to be hella rusty. I think for me is uh, I think what's kind of cool about it is like, it's bringing me back to before I had a band, like, because all you have to do is write. There's no shows to be, like, consumed right. about and, like, think mm-hmm. about and plan for and practice for and all that kind of stuff. So I kind of almost feel like when I'm sitting around at home, like, back to when I was first writing music, you know, it's like, you know, you don't do anything, basically, like, yeah. as far as, like, normal band stuff. So it's just kind of unlimited time to write, and it's just, uh, I wish I took more advantage of it with all this time. <laughs> I feel like I'm not doing as much as I could be. Um, we have a lot of but time. But it's good, though, yeah. Well, you can read all about Grumpster and their forthcoming 7-inch Mindless and listen to their new single, Teeth, which we've been playing in between interviews this week at sfweekly.com under the music tab. Thanks so much for joining us, you guys. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks so much for tuning into this week's edition of the SF Weekly Podcast. The episode was produced, engineered, and recorded by me, Nick Veronin. The song you heard in between interviews was Teeth by Grumpster. Our theme music was composed by The Armature. For more hot takes, deep dives, and alternative views on San Francisco news, subscribe to our podcast through Apple or Spotify. Follow us on SoundCloud at soundcloud.com slash sfweeklypodcast, and check out our website, sfweekly.com. See you next week.